in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In today's Gospel, Jesus reveals the heart of the Gospel to his disciples, that it is God's will that his kingdom comes only through the wood of the cross. The wood of the cross is a bridge set up by God himself, the only bridge over which we can walk to union with God and true happiness. Or again, the wood of the cross is the life raft, the only one that we can cling to in the stormy sea of life to make it to the opposing shore. Christ prepares them gently and in stages to receive this terrible scandal. And yet in today's gospel, it says, they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. And since they didn't perceive the true gospel, they immediately substitute for themselves a false gospel, a counterfeit gospel of honor, of precedence, which is directly opposed to Christ's message of the cross. They already seek to construct a false path to God and to happiness, even though there's only one, the one that he revealed to us. In accord with this and the situation presented by the disciples in today's gospel, I'd like to present to you, as it were, three false gospels, three sources uh, or principles that sometimes we substitute for the way of the cross uh, in order to find God or happiness when we live our lives. As St. Paul said to the Galatians, he says, if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we first preached to you, let him be accursed. So let us find a way to root out any principles in our lives which oppose the true gospel. And the three I'd like to talk about are, you could say, sort of a gospel of autonomy, a gospel of consumerism, and a gospel of utility. Autonomy is literally self-law. This is the idea that I get to define my own life and how I live it. And this is sort of a basic principle in our contemporary society, a basic ethical principle. Now, there's truth in it. After all, the church says that all of the Christian faithful have the right to order their lives according to reason. For instance, the church can't and doesn't tell anyone what particular profession to take in their life. That doesn't happen. Now, on the other hand, no one has the freedom to reorder the principles by which they live their lives. Freedom for us is fundamentally a freedom for excellence, a freedom for goodness. Freedom is what we could call an intermediate good, a good which is only good because it lets us pursue what is truly and finally good. To be unfree to choose evil, in fact, is the highest freedom. And the Lord God Almighty himself is unfree to choose evil. The blessed in heaven are unfree to choose evil. And this is a good thing, a far greater thing than the weakness that we experience in our lives. What are some ways that this manifests itself in our lives or in our society? Well, one interesting thing is to see that what is determined is seen as an evil. For instance, our society doesn't like the idea that there is a definite and concrete human nature, because that means that there's a definite and concrete way that we can live our lives, 
that we can pursue God, that there are certain things opposed to what is best and what's good for us. Uh, as another example, for instance, something like marriage is looked down upon. It's something which restricts us to a single path and prevents us from doing other things. So for instance, how can you pursue the great good of family life? The only way to do it stably is to enter into a marriage covenant with another person. It's through this determination, through this restriction, that one has the freedom to pursue that great good, which is family life. Or, as another example, let's say a person wants to become a religious. If a man or woman wants to do this, the only way he or she can do this is by taking the vows of obedience, chastity, and poverty. This restriction is what frees someone to pursue God in this more intense mode of life. Now, uh, there are many other ways that this shows itself, but another way is the suggestion or the idea that some people have that submitting one's intellect and one's will to the teaching of the church is contrary to human freedom. In fact, the opposite is exactly the case. It's only by following what is the reality of human nature and the reality of God's own inner life that we can truly be free to flourish. In a few moments after the homily, we're going to have the oath of fidelity, which the catechists will take. The oath of fidelity, there are some people who would think that the oath of fidelity is something that keeps people from, from teaching about God in a true way. In fact, the exact opposite is the case. The only sure guide we have to knowing about God's inner life is what he himself has revealed to us with his heart open on the cross. And that's what the church gives us, what the church secures for us through the doctrine she teaches. Now, how do we overcome sort of this idea that, that this false idea of autonomy? Well, I think that faith is the answer to this. Faith lets us see. Faith is a seeing of light, as it were, from God and God's eye point of view. It lets us see reality as it truly is. Oftentimes, we have predispositions that come from our family, our culture, our political affiliations, which lead us to be uneasy in accepting certain parts of the gospel. And we need faith so that we can see truly where we are in error and where we can receive that more fully. The psalmist says, lightly I have run in the way of your commands, O Lord, you give freedom to my heart. And that's the, true about, that's the truth about God's law. A second thing we could talk about, another thing which sort of gets in the way of us living out the true gospel of the cross, is a sort of consumerism. In the second reading today, St. James says, you covet, but you do not possess. We always have in front of us the false promise of finding happiness merely through a sort of gratification of the senses. And in our society, it's always just a click away where we can always uh, keep getting more things to consume. What we need to learn is that sometimes our desires on the bodily level need to be, um, we need to wait to fulfill them. That's why the church gives us a certain rhythm of, of even of fasting and of deprivation such as in Lent or on Fridays so that we can learn this and we can constrain our desires and point them towards God. Uh, desire is a very good thing, but the whole point is that we're supposed to order our entire lives towards God. For this reason, I think hope is the virtue that we can oppose to this. On the level of 
the body, hope is the emotion that leads us towards a desired good. And on the level of the theological virtue of hope, it's what it's that by which we know God's going to give us exactly what we need to be saved, exactly what we need to be happy, even when sometimes it seems like that isn't working out. The last one we could talk about is a gospel of sort of utility. Um, we could almost call it a sort of technologism. The idea that everything is merely what I can use it for. Everything is how I can manipulate it and dominate it for human purposes. Uh, for instance, we could, we, we could look at something like a forest merely as energy to be gained from, from burning timber, um, merely as a sort of standing reserve. The point isn't to deny that the world is made to serve man's needs. It is. God put the world under our dominion. But the problem is that if we see everything as mere plastic, this can start to migrate over into our, our view of human persons, for instance. Because in, in technical productivity, the only rule is, how, how well does this match up to the purpose I'm, I'm using it for? For instance, here's a, a place where our society is in tension with this. The idea that it's all right to, for instance, destroy a human embryo who is a person in order to have a medical cure, even if that were more effective than using adult stem cells, which the science doesn't bear out, it still wouldn't be the case that it would be all right to use persons in this way. We also sometimes forget that persons have great dignity, for instance, even in suffering. And one thing that our society is pushing more is the idea of euthanasia, which of course is contrary to the dignity which we have revealed to us on the cross that, in fact, we can unite ourselves most to God, even in suffering. And I think some of this idea is what Pope Francis has been trying to teach us in his recent encyclical, Laudato Si, the idea that uh, uh, we also need to have that sort of ecology of the human person that's in there as well. The answer to this is the theological virtue of charity. Charity is what gives us the ability to treat persons as relative ends, not merely as means. And so we need charity so we can love God above all things and our neighbor for his sake. In the very beginning of Christianity, Christians, the early Christians, were able to look back and they saw the truth of the cross written across the universe for all to see. Uh, the New Testament refers to this. For instance, in our, our first reading today, the Gospel of Matthew refers, in the same words our first reading uses, to talk about how the Pharisees and chief priests derided the Christ and how they led him to death. Uh, the early Christians also saw the pagan philosopher Plato as foretelling the cross. He, he famously asked once, what would happen if a perfectly just man came into the world? And he answered, and this is 400 years before Christ, that such a man would be scourged and tortured and finally crucified. The wisdom of the cross was hidden from the world. It was even hidden from the disciples in today's gospel, and it can be often hidden from us. It's only in the light of, that of the resurrection, which Christ also uh, foretold in today's gospel, that we truly see how that suffering makes sense and takes place, as in the gospel in the road to Emmaus, where the risen Christ himself interprets the scriptures which refer to his sufferings. We ourselves are called to follow this, not to be uh, 
pushed off from the way, not to have the false idea that there's any other route by, but the cross. And if we follow the route of the cross through in and through Jesus Christ, we will receive that true happiness of union with God.